What exactly is it that we need from Christ to believe in him? What is it that we can pull from the story of the healing at the Bethesda that can show us what that is? Well, we're going to find out here in a little bit as we get into part three of our study on the pool of Bethesda right after this. Welcome once again as we get into Connecting the Gap for this week. Thank you for joining me again and I uh, hope that you guys have been getting something out of the study that we've been doing. Coming up here in the near future, I'm going to be starting a really good uh, study and discussion time that will probably go on for quite some time and it's very powerful. And it, when I went through this, it's a study I've done before, I've done it like several years ago, I want to bring it back again. And it's called The Great Divide. And it's just crazy how it just speaks right to you and just looks right inside of you to, to see exactly where we are with Christ and who we are in Him and how we walk this walk with as a Christian. And sometimes we think we're okay, but we're really not. Um, but it's, it's going to be a good, powerful thing. And so that's something that's going to be coming up here and probably possibly this next week if I don't do something different. I'm still praying a little bit for direction as we go into this next week here of what I'm going to do next. But wherever God leads me, that's one thing that I'm looking at. So just kind of give you a little heads up about what's coming up here in the future. Uh, just a little teaser, I guess we could say. So we've been going through a study about the, the healing at the Pool of Bethesda. And we're into part three of that this week. And we're going to wrap it up for this week. If you guys have not been able to watch the other two previous, you're going to need to do that. Uh, to get into this one to understand because we're already about three-fourths of the way through the story at this point. So go check that out. It's on my uh, podcast channel, my website, connectingthegap.net, and you can check those out. So we've been talking about this man that was an invalid. He was paralyzed for, we know, at least around 38 years. He had been sitting by the pool of Bethesda. Uh, as, the, as the Bible says, the scripture says that the angels would trouble the waters, and when the waters would be troubled, that people would get into that. And the first person in would receive their healing. And this man had been trying to get this healing for years, but he was incapable of getting into this pool and had no one to help him do so. And so we've been through kind of through some of that already. And this man at this point in the story where we're at today, he's already been healed. He's already taken off with his, his mat and he's walked. He's done it on the Sabbath. He got in trouble by the Sabbath police. And uh, we left off last week. He was at the temple. Jesus saw him there and was rebuking him for a sin that this man apparently still had not gotten out of his life. He was still letting it control him, and regardless of the fact that he had this healing in his body and that Jesus had done this for him, he had not changed his lifestyle. And Jesus was telling him that if you do not change, the worst thing is going to happen to you. Even much worse than being an invalid for 38 years, he had the possibility of spending his eternity in hell. And so that's kind of where we're going to pick this story up for today. And we're going to kind of get into a little bit of a discussion here about repentance as this man was having some trouble with repenting for what he had done. Both John the Baptist and Jesus both preached to repent 
that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you can find uh, that scripture verse in Matthew 3, 2, and also Matthew 4, verse 17. So when we read this scripture, we see that it's very clear that repentance from sin is necessary to believe in Christ. For us to have that faith in Christ and believe in him, we have to have a repentance of sin uh, that's in our life. And you can read about that in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20, 21, verse 32, and Mark chapter 6, verse 12. The only reason that we find this shocking is that we have embraced a gospel of grace without repentance. You know, we just tell people just to pray the sinner's prayer and be forgiven. But faith without repentance is an oxymoron. It isn't biblical. And, you know, I think there's a time and a place for the sinner's prayer. And I think that, you know, we all need to say a type of the sinner's prayer to get that repentance from God. But we've also got to mean it. We can't just tell someone, oh, well, just say this little prayer and you're done. There needs to be an explanation that there is a, a, a serving of faith that needs to come along with that. Not only do we say this sinner's prayer to, to God and ask him to forgive us and that we you know, understand that we're sinners and that he can change our life forever and that we accept that, but we have to have faith and understanding of what's taking place in our life when we do this. So we need to make sure that whenever we lead someone through this sinner's prayer, that they have a full understanding of what they're asking for and what that true repentance means in their life. So when this takes place, this doesn't mean that we don't sometimes fall into sin, that we're not sometimes rebellious, that we don't need a continual forgiveness purchased at a great cost by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our sins. We can read about that in 1 John chapter 1, 8 through 10 and chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. When it comes down to it, we do need all of that, but we must repent from a lifestyle of sin. Paul is very clear that if we don't repent from our sinful lifestyles, we are kidding ourselves if we think that we're going to heaven. Today we have this feel-good gospel going around where they just tell you that, you know, if it feels good, do it. Just ask God to forgive you and you're forgiven. No worries. From then on, you're secure. You're great. That's not the case. We have to keep a, a good, pure lifestyle before Christ and live a sinless life and if we do sin and mess up, which a lot of us do, I do, I've talked about this before, I can, on a regular basis, ask the Lord to forgive me if there's anything in my life that I've done, because we're human. We're going to mess up. But there is a forgiveness there for that when that takes place, and there's a conviction that takes place. And we need to make sure that we understand what that conviction is and follow through with taking care of that when it happens. And there's some backup in the Bible for that point uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9-11, and Galatians 5, 19-21, if you check out those scripture references. Jesus required this man and the woman taken in adultery, in John chapter 8, verse 11, if you've ever read that story, he required of both of those stories to stop sinning, to repent, and begin to live a different lifestyle. When we become a Christian, we are changed. We are a different person, and we don't do the same things that we used to do. The story of this healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda is all of grace. This man didn't deserve anything. In fact, he wasn't a very good man to start with. We figured that out by uh, when we looked in the first session of this, his characteristics about how he was a complainer and um, he was a sinner and he was a blamer and all these different things that he was. He really didn't deserve 
And he didn't even ask for what Jesus gave him. But it's all about repentance as well. If we try to separate grace from repentance and take those two apart, we severely distort the gospel that Jesus and the apostles taught. You cannot teach repentance without teaching grace along with that. Former slave ship Captain John Newton, he penned these words that we've all sang, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but I'm found, was blind, but now I see. It follows that if we can now see, then we now avoid the things we used to be blind to. So when God comes in and he you know, takes the sin out of our life and we start this new walk with him, then the things that we used to, to go into that we were blinded and, didn't, and we thought they were okay, all of a sudden now we have this new view of life. We have this new view of our eternity and our relationship with God. And now we understand that a lot of things we used to do were not right. Our eyes are open to that. As we move on to verse 14 of chapter 5, verse 14 implies that there can be a relationship between sin and sickness. In verse 14, later Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. A number of times in the Bible we find instances where God does afflict people with sickness as a punishment. With a paralytic let down by his friends into the house where Jesus was speaking, Jesus linked sin with illness to that story. That's in Mark chapter 2, verse 9. Does that mean that all sickness is a result of sin? No, that's not what we're saying. We shouldn't just generalize that as to be the cause of, of that. Clearly, most of the time, Satan and demons brings illness. We know that sickness and that kind of thing is not of God. He's a God of healing. He's a God of new life. He is not a God of sickness. Satan, you know, brings that all upon us. With the man born blind, Jesus specifically states an instance where a man's sickness was absolutely not the result of sin at all. And that's in Luke chapter 9, verses 2 and 3. So here in this story of the man that was healed at the pool of Bethesda, did the healed man heed Jesus' rebuke to stop sinning? I don't think he probably did as we read the story. John records what happened next after Jesus told him to do this. In verse 15, it says that the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. So instead of accepting the repentance and the rebuke that Jesus gave him, he just decided to go and tattle on him to the people that were trying to take Jesus down. So that kind of shows us at that moment that that man probably did not repent and accept that forgiveness from his sin. Now, is it possible that he repented later on? Yes, it is possible. We don't know because the, the story does not follow him on into the rest of his life. But here in this section of the story and the way that he responded, it, in his actions, it shows that he probably didn't show a belief in the healer at all, but he passes the blame and the persecution to Jesus so he can avoid himself having this persecution put onto him. He's trying to keep himself out of trouble, and he kind of throws Jesus under the bus in the process. So this is hardly the mark of a disciple at all um, when you look at this characteristic that this man had in him. There's another such sad story in the Gospels, that of the rich young ruler. The man had a problem with the love of money that Jesus had to confront that he might be saved. In Mark chapter 10, verse 21 to 22, it says Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have, 
Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then you can come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. When you read that story, it makes us all kind of sad and uncomfortable when we think about that. Because the fact is that, you know, we do what we believe is in our great in, greatest interest at that moment. Whatever we feel like is going to, you know, have the most impact on our life and the things that we desire the most and that we love the most, we kind of hang on to that in that moment of time. So we have to understand that is Jesus our bigger desire in our life or is the things that's hanging us up the bigger desire in our life? It's always a sad situation whenever we choose things over Jesus and that life that he has for us and that eternity that he promises to us. We have to ask ourselves, is it possible to be blessed outwardly but lost inwardly? I think so. I think we can have riches and we can have lots of friends. We can have lots of things. And from the outside, it can look like that we're just in awesome shape and everything goes our way. But inside, we can be in turmoil and just completely destroyed and have no sense of life whatsoever, any reason to live if we do not have Christ in there and we're lost inwardly. So we have to watch that. As we read on into verse 16 to 18 of chapter 5, our passage closes by explaining that Jesus' death was due to the same kind of blind legalism that the Pharisees often exhibited. In verse 16 of John 5, it says, So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So they could see this astounding miracle that Jesus did, but they also criticized Jesus for not obeying their interpretation of the law. They totally overlooked the fact that Jesus did something that nobody else could do and understand that he had a power like he did. So as we wrap this up today, what are some lessons that we see that the disciples learned from this? And, what's some, and we can take these same lessons to heart ourselves. Number one lesson that we can learn is God's grace. God can work miracles without any bit of merit, earning, or deserving on our part. As we've seen in this story, Jesus seeked this man out that had this infirmity. This man had no idea who Jesus was, was not looking for Jesus, wasn't looking for the healing that way. He was relying on this pool of water for his healing. But yet God's grace led Jesus to this man and through his grace gave this man the healing that he's been looking for for 38 years. Number two... Outward blessing can accompany an inner death. We just talked about that just a while ago. Paradoxically, the man at the pool of Bethesda is healed outwardly. He's able to pick his mat up and walk, and he has no more illnesses in his body at this point. But apparently, as we see in the scripture, he never was healed inwardly because he shows no evidence of repentance in his life when Jesus called him to that repentance. So, we have to understand that just because we have blessings from the outside and it seems like that we're being wealthy and secure and everything that we do, we still need to make sure that we search the most important thing and that's our heart. Make sure that inwardly we are where God wants us to be. Number three, ask a discerning question. And this is reflected in verse six of John chapter five. 
What that means is when you pray, ask what people want in order to assess their needs and desires. Instead of just coming to someone and saying, I'm praying for you for this, ask them, what would you like for me to pray for? That will kind of give you better direction of what they have faith in, where their faith lies out with God. And then between the two of you, if they've got the faith and you're there to stand with them in that gap and pray for them, you're going to see some mighty results happen in that situation. Number four, God awareness. This is in verses 16 through 18. Some people like the Pharisees are so obsessed with their rules that they miss the miracle. And have is there times in your life that a miracle has happened, but you've been so obsessed with your surroundings and with the circumstances that surrounded the situation and all that happened that you completely missed what Jesus did and did not give him the credit and what God did? Did you take the credit for all of that? Um, so we need to make sure that we have a God awareness that whenever something big happens in our life, and we have a breakthrough that we don't take the credit for that, but we give God the glory for what he has done. Another lesson that the disciples and we can learn from this is Jesus expects repentance. In verse 14 of chapter 5 there in John, it is possible to repent and turn from our sins. We can change and improve even if we don't become perfect in this life. God's never called us to perfect. What God's called us to is repentance. He's called us to a repentant heart and to always acknowledge that we aren't perfect and that we do need him in our life in order to get through this life and to the next one where he has eternity waiting for us. So that's five lessons that the disciples and that we can take from this story about the pool of Bethesda. This story is about healing. Even if you aren't suffering from a chronic physical ailment like the man at the pool, we all still need healing. Whether if it's our heart, our mind, or whatever it may be, we all need some type of healing and we need God in our life. As we close this up today, Matthew Henry put it, we are all by nature impotent folk in spiritual things, blind, halt, and withered, but full provision is made for our cure if we attend to it. We have the answers, we have the process that it takes to get all of the things in our life taken care of, the sins and the things that we like to sweep under the carpet and when we try to make it look like that we're perfect and got it going on there is a provision to truly take care of all that the right way and that's through God's grace and he will come and seek you out don't think that he won't and be thankful for that if he does because it would be a sad day the day that we come to where we don't change and we don't repent and God just ignores us and lets us go that direction that's kind of getting past the point beyond our return. And that's not a place that you want to be. So hopefully over this last couple of weeks and into this week, you guys have gotten something from this study. And uh, hopefully I was able to kind of put it out there in a way that you kind of understand it and understand the truths that came from this. Uh, there's definitely a way there that we can learn on how to, le how to live for Christ in the way that he wants us to and how that we do uh, walk in faith and need that repentant heart in order to be where God wants us when he calls us to do different things in our life. So there are just several different things there that you can pull from this story in as short as it is. And hopefully you guys got that. So I'm going to call it good for this week for this edition of Connecting the Gap. Thank you guys for joining me once again. As I always say, please subscribe. Check out my website, connectingthegap.net. Check out my YouTube channel. And uh, hopefully you guys will be blessed by everything that's there. So I'm going to quit for today. We'll have something new next week. 
And until then, God bless, and you guys have a great week.